0: Hi everybody, it's James Rudd here with the Heart Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. Today I've got a discussion with a cardiology trainee called Dr. Lynn Miller, who has published a really interesting piece of original research in heart, which is all about differentiation between athlete's heart and dilated cardiomyopathy in athletic individuals. Uh, We have quite a lengthy discussion about this, including the various different kinds of tests that can help people to differentiate these two groups. I hope you enjoy the discussion and please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Thanks very much. Maybe we can start Lynn by you telling us where you work and what you do.
1: Yeah thanks James. Um, so my name is Lynn Miller. I'm a cardiology registrar at Bart's Heart Centre in London and formerly a cardiac risk in the young research fellow at St George's University of London.
0: And Lynn, tell us about the uh, motivation behind the research paper.
1: So what we know is that around 11% of elite athletes have athletic adaptation of their heart uh, with LB dilatation and a low or borderline LVEF, which overlaps with the phenotypical manifestation of dilated cardiomyopathy. Uh, and there's also been um, several high-profile sudden cardiac arrests and over the uh, in-athletes And over the last decade, there's been a significant focus on differentiating the athlete's heart from other cardiomyopathies, uh, particularly hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. And I think it's important um, to differentiate these two uh, entities because an erroneous diagnosis of a dilated cardiomyopathy in a healthy athlete Can potentially lead to the loss of livelihood and can have significant psychological impacts. Whereas uh, labelling someone with athletic adaptation when in fact they have um, a dilated cardiomyopathy deprives them of the possible prognostic uh, medications and/or important familial cascade screening that they may undergo.
0: Okay, so I hadn't actually appreciated that you say in the paper that 11% of healthy endurance athletes develop physiological. Left ventricular dilatation with low borderline injection fraction. Eleven percent seems a high number.
1: Yeah, so that's a sort of the the landmark paper by Eric Abrajel. I, mm. I believe that was published back in two thousand and four, looking at Tour de France cyclists. Um, so yeah, so it's um, it is something that uh, perhaps is underappreciated that we uh, that we see this, and it's something that we are beginning to see much more commonly in um, cardiomyopathy clinics. And actually even general cardiology clinics, Um, because I suppose historically we had um, athletes, an athlete was someone that people considered to uh, participate at national or international level. But nowadays we see a lot of people, um, recreational athletes, competing in sort of endurance or ultra endurance um, competitions. And so this is something that we're seeing probably even more commonly again.
0: And how big a problem do you think dilated cardiomyopathy itself is in this uh, age group, this population?
1: So compared to the other uh, cardiomyopathies, it is rarer, and um, post-mortem studies would suggest um, in the region of one to two percent in athletes. Um, but when you're thinking about world terms, then that can be a significant number, and given the clinical conundrum, is something we're seeing more commonly in. Um, general cardiology clinics I just think it's important that we that we get it right from the beginning.
0: Absolutely I think many of us certainly myself are familiar with trying to tease apart a patient with Mm. uh, early hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and somebody with athletic heart syndrome but this is a new one to me so it's a really Mm. timely piece of research. Um, What did you hypothesize Lynn in your study?
1: So we felt that uh, clinical biochemical and imaging investigations could differentiate from the athlete's heart uh, from dilated cardiomyopathy in individuals with low or borderline ejection fraction and lb uh, dilatation
0: okay so this was a prospective study wasn't it yes yeah and um how did you go about doing the study what did you do
1: yeah so uh, this was an observational study um taking place at st george's university of london we recruited three uh, cohorts And the first being asymptomatic individuals uh, with dilated cardiomyopathy who were active um, and NYHA class one, um, a cohort of athletes with this phenotype of what we we refer to in the paper and and sort of generally as the gray zone, uh, those with LV dilatation and a borderline EF. And then a third group of athletic controls um, with normal LV size and function. Um, And they were recruited from um, tertiary cardiomyopathy clinics, the dilated cardiomyopathy patients were, and the athletes from um, either the quaternary sports cardiology unit that we run at St. George's Hospital in London, or through the Cardiac Risk in the Young screening programme. All three cohorts underwent extensive testing, including health questionnaire, NT ProBNP, 12-lead ECG, baseline echocardiography, exercise echocardiography and cardiopulmonary exercise testing and then the athletes in the gray zone or those with the physiological adaptation and the dilated cardiomyopathy patients underwent cardiac MRI uh, and halter monitoring.
0: Okay and the people with dilated cardiomyopathy these were uh, proven dilated cardiomyopathy on things like echo and MRI is that right? Yes
1: yes Yeah. Um, yeah indeed yeah.
0: okay and I see also that they had uh, some of them had familial DCM proven in a first degree relative as well. OK,
1: exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And you've outlined some of the study tests that you performed. I mean, this sounds like quite a big undertaking. Was this part of an MD or a, or a PhD project that you did this this work?
1: Yes, this was part of my MD that, uh, yeah, that I was successful uh, in Viva this year. So, um, yes, yeah, so it was part of the uh, research with Professor Sanjay Sharma and uh, uh, Dr. Rajan Sharma and George's.
0: Okay, so three groups of, uh, of subjects and lots of tests, including imaging, biochemical tests. Um, and then how did you analyse the data?
1: Yeah, so the majority of the tests were sort of essentially simple statistics, really um, looking at, um, for example, in continuous variables, looking at um, student T-tests, ANOVAs, or their non-parametric equivalents. And then we performed... Um, receiver operator characteristic curve analysis uh, on, certain, on the biomarker on the BMP and on the structural and functional stress echo parameters, particularly looking for the sensitivity and specificity of these tests and to with the aim to try and derive um, specific thresholds of which we could use to d- differentiate the normal from the abnormal.
0: Okay, so we ended up with 35 uh, patients in the DCM group 25 in the grey zone group and 24 mm-hmm. male athletes with normal ejection fraction uh, who underwent mm-hmm. all of these tests. Um, yeah. Do you want to start maybe by summarising some of the results for us in terms of maybe differences on ECGs or halter tests, things that people will be familiar with looking at in athletic patients? Did you find anything interesting yeah. in that data?
1: Yeah, so um, so we looked at the ECG with uh, the international uh, 2017 international recommendations uh, which were sort of published uh, internationally in several journals um, and we find that around 40% of the DCM cohort had an um, abnormal ECG by this criteria compared to 8% of the athletes in the grey zone and uh, 4.2% of the control athletes and I think this is quite important uh, data because This suggests that around 60% of those athletes would have an, sorry, of the DCM cohort had a normal ECG, which is in stark contrast to the around 90% abnormal ECGs we see in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and around 80% that we see in uh, arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. Um, looking at halter around 30% or 28.6% of the um, DCM cohort had an abnormal halter uh, that we defined as more than 500 ventricular extra or and or the presence of non-sustained ventricular tachycardia and this was not seen in any of the uh, athletes in the grey zone.
0: And presumably none of the uh, athletes are not in the grey zone either.
1: Yeah, so none of the. Unfortunately, um, we didn't do halter analysis in that cohort.
0: Okay, you wouldn't expect to find such a high burden of topics, surely. No, uh, no. And in terms of uh, blood tests, did uh, ProBMP help at all differentiating DCM from others?
1: Yeah, so I think this is quite a sort of simple and important test. Actually, we found uh, around thirty percent of them had a, of the DCM cohort had an abnormal uh, NT probmp. That we defined by the um of more than 125 uh picomole per liter um so or per mil um so that's it's a really simple test that we can um perform just when you see a uh, an individual like this so i think it is worthwhile to do
0: and what about echocardiography? you did you did several different kinds of echo and measured multiple parameters do you want to Take a little bit of time and, and summarise what you what you think are the most important things that came out of the echo part of the study.
1: Certain features were similar to all three groups uh, on the baseline echo. For example, all three had similar degree of LA dilatation, um, but both athletic cohorts had superior tissue tissue doppler imaging uh, parameters uh, and longitudinal parameters compared to the DCM group. Um, looking specifically at speckle tracking imaging, um, we found some interesting findings global longitudinal strain was highest in the athletic sort of control group or the ones with normal um, LV size and function compared to the athletes in the grey zone. And then they were, um, they had higher strain values compared to the GCM cohort. But interestingly, uh, quite a significant portion of both athletic groups did have sort of lowish or low normal uh, strain values. So this is something that perhaps requires further exploration in, in further studies. Um, and then some of the quite important um, data is that we found that the on stress echo, uh, the inability to augment the left ventricular ejection fraction of more than 11% uh, and the peak inability to achieve a peak LVEF of more than 63%. Both of these parameters had sensitivities of around 80 and specificity over 90%. And if we combined those two parameters um, to different to essentially say at what was a normal or abnormal stress echo um to combine they had a sensitivity of 85.7 percent and a specificity of 92 percent
0: so that's really important isn't it and they were exercise stress echo scans if i can get the words out uh, yes yes yeah okay so that um is a really important part of the the paper and that will come on to the algorithm that you guys designed uh, in just a few minutes what about other things like uh, cardiopulmonary exercise testing or MRI imaging? Were these helpful in differentiating between the three groups?
1: So I think um, it's important that, you know, cardiopulmonary exercise test is an incredibly uh, useful test to assess someone's functional capacity in general. Mm. Um, And it's not uh, unsurprising that we find higher peak oxygen consumptions in um, both athletic cohorts compared to the dilated cardiomyopathy Hmm. but one of the interesting findings we found was that over 70% of our DCM cohort had normal uh, peak oxygen consumption essentially of um, 100% of age sex predicted and that 20% of them had a peak oxygen consumption of more than 120% predicted so I think it's important that this test would not be used in isolation because um, despite having significant pathology, people can have quite superior um, CPEP values. Mm. So it's an adjunct, but not, nothing. it shouldn't give false reassurance to have normal values. And in the cardiac MRI, um, we find that around half of our patients had uh, late gadolinium enhancement. Um, so again, in, in any uh, workup of any person with um, a cardiomyopathic process, cardiac MRI will always have its role.
0: And sorry, that was in the DCM group. Half of them had late GAD enhancement, yeah?
1: Yes, indeed, Uh, compared to none of the um, athletes in the Gray Zone.
0: Okay. And after all that, and after crunching the numbers, and you'll all be able to read the the full paper, which will be available uh, on the HEART website uh, as soon as this podcast is released, uh, you came up with a very nice uh, figure, figure number three in the paper, which is an algorithm to help people when assessing active individuals with LV dilatation and a, a low uh, or normal ejection fraction. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the, uh, the diagram there in figure three, Lynn?
1: Yeah, so we tried to um, come up with this. We tried to make it sort of as simple as mm. possible. So it would be quite just generally useful to the sports physician and cardiologist that would see these individuals. Um, so... Looking Firstly, it's in a a cascade of different tests. So looking at BMP, that if you had uh, um, raised BMP, that would be suggestive of um, a DCM. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at the electrocardiogram with uh, relation to the international recommendations. um, Again, if there was athletic changes only, that would be consistent with physiology compared to uh, specific abnormal um, findings. For example, left bundle branch block, a high ventricular ectopic burden, um, pathological T waves, that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, looking at, then onto Halter monitor um, and those with a high ventricular ectopic burden of more than 500 uh, in a 24-hour period and or NSVT uh, would be consistent with DCM as opposed to not having these arrhythmias on Halter, which would be more in keeping with physiological adaptation. Then on to the exercise echocardiogram, the inability to augment the LVEF of more than 11% uh, or the inability to achieve a peak LVEF of less than 63% would be more consistent with a DCM compared to the ability to achieve these in the physiological group. And then going on to um, cardiac MRI, that the presence or absence of the um, late gadolinium enhancement, we would, would be consistent with DCM or physiology as appropriate. Um, we then went on to validate um, our findings in, uh, in figure four. And you can see that we uh, plugged in our data into this sort of um, algorithm. Mm-hmm. And we found that if we perform these investigations in this uh, fashion, that overall um, the ability to differentiate athlete's heart from dilated um, cardiomyopathy Uh, This algorithm had a sensitivity of 83.3%, a specificity of 94.1%, a negative predictive value of 90.9%, and a positive predictive value of 88.9%. So some quite positive findings there.
0: Certainly, it's a really, uh, I think, a good way for general cardiologists and those who are not experts in the field like you guys. Uh, to think about a sensible ordering of tests uh, and doing the simple things first and then moving on to other tests um, as and when required. Um, so I, I really enjoyed those those two uh, figures. What about limitations, Lynn? Uh, you mentioned some limitations in the paper. Do you want to talk about those things that you maybe would like to do differently or plan for another study in the future?
1: Mm. So I think um, there's The uh, test was, the the paper was in exclusively males, So we don't know whether this would exactly translate to the female uh, athlete, but this would be possible work of future uh, research. Uh, And also the um, individuals were predominantly Caucasian. And so we don't know whether this would also, um, the findings would be the same in other um, ethnic groups. Um, And of course, uh, you know, the numbers in this study are, are relatively small, um, purely because of you know it's it's not super common to to, to come across the athletes in the grey zone, Um so uh, this would require validation in, in in larger studies, and we this is something we would welcome, um going forward.
0: And what are your conclusions then overall from this uh, from this lovely piece of work?
1: So we feel that um, when trying to differentiate athletes' heart from dilated cardiomyopathy, the combination of NTPO BMP, electrocardiography, halter monitoring, baseline echocardiography, and cardiac MRI parameters can have modest modest discriminating value. However, um, we found that exercise echocardiography had good sensitivity and excellent specificity to differentiate these these, um, two entities. And finally, uh, we hope that um, our algorithm will be quite useful uh, to physicians in assessing these individuals going forward
0: brilliant and have you got any any plans for the future of this work either in your own uh, in your own right or with uh, professor sharma and the group
1: well i think there, there there are lots of different ideas i think um one of the things that we still don't fully understand is the stream and um what what this means mm. um, this is a very it's become quite useful in the work of the field of cardi oncology um but i think we still don't understand it fully in in um in the athlete and i think that's perhaps future work that would look, be interesting to look into
0: yeah it sounds it sounds very exciting and certainly something that i've seen in cardio oncology coming in uh, more and more widely uh, sort of early effects of some of the drugs that are given in that uh, in that specialty yes brilliant well thanks ever so much for your time Lynn, uh today it's it's uh, been great to talk to you as i say, the paper will be open access for everybody to read And uh, I encourage you to do that and to contact the corresponding authors if you have any questions.
1: Okay, thank you so much, James, for this opportunity.
0: No worries at all. Thanks, Lynn.